Good morning. Well, with Ken being one of the three in Nicaragua uh, teaching pastors, uh, we're going to take a one-week break from going through a book of the Bible every Sunday, and we're going to jump into the New Testament for a Sunday. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Next week, we will resume uh, with uh, our, our series and be in Jonah. Uh, but I thought it was a great opportunity to go to the New Testament and talk about spiritual growth. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we are going to uh, be looking at a book that Peter wrote. Uh, thankfully, Peter is one of the few people that actually states his purpose for writing this letter. He's writing to a group of believers in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and he says this is what his purpose is. It's found in chapter 5. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Peter is uh, seeing persecution and opposition breaking out with these young believers. And he knows what it's like to face persecution. And he knows and has experienced the grace of God and does not want them to be hindered in their faithfulness to God and living uh, out their faith in him for his purposes. And so he's going to use the book of 1 Peter to reestablish and remind them who they are because of Christ, how they should live uh, out their faith in Christ, how that communicates to uh, the unbelieving world around them, and continues to sprinkle hope throughout this book. But as you think about Peter, uh, he, he knows persecution's coming because he was told about it. In the Gospel of John, we pick up uh, at the end of John, Peter is the one who has declared that he would never leave Jesus. No matter what happens, he would stand by his side only to betray Jesus three times. He is left with the feeling that that uh, denial of Christ was the last words Jesus would ever hear from his friend Peter. But then Jesus rose from the grave and Peter has a second chance. And at the end of John in chapter 21, Jesus shows up as Peter and other disciples are out fishing. And Jesus is on the shore. And he knows that they're fishermen like me that haven't caught any fish. And so he calls out to them, hey, how's the fishing? And they're like, it's terrible. He says, well, throw your net on the other side. And those words moved uh, John to say, it's the Lord. And I love this picture of Peter. It's one of the most moving pictures uh, in the New Testament of one of the disciples because Peter, who probably was still grappling with the shame, with the embarrassment, with the reality of his denial of Christ, the weight of that, sees Jesus on the shore. And every inclination in me would have been, I don't want to go to that shore because I know I've betrayed Jesus. I know I've let him down. I know what I said and I did something completely opposite and I would want to hide in my shame. But not Peter. Peter saw Jesus and he saw the fishermen gathering these huge nets of fish just as Jesus had said. Throw it on the other side. The, the nets are full and Peter puts on his outer garment and jumps out of the boat. 
He's like, I don't have time for this fishing stuff. I've got to get to Jesus. And Jesus cooks him up a good breakfast. And in verse 15, he says, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus reverses the three denials with three affirmations. In essence, forgiving Peter and showing him that he still had purpose and, God, and that Jesus was going to use him for big things. But then Jesus gives him a glimpse of his future. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus is predicting Peter's future of martyrdom. He is going to be crucified like Jesus was. And so Peter, seeing this persecution break out among young believers, is like, I know this is coming. I now see it. I need to write to these young believers, and I need to encourage them as they experience persecution. And part of me thinks his persecution was also on his mind. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to do verses 1 through 12, and it's broken up into three different ways. Peter's first going to address Christians as individuals. He's going to say, hey, you specifically, you individually, here are two things I want you to be doing. Here's how you live out this holy living. Here's the process. Here's a couple things uh, to be doing. Then he's going to talk to believers as a whole. Hey, you all, here's what's going on, and here's how uh, God sees you. And finally, he's going to talk about them. Hey, as you live among them, the unbelievers, the pagans, this is how you should live. So let's jump in and take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, the first three verses. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, there's, this passage starts with the word therefore. And if you've been around here for a while, every time I start with therefore, there's a question that follows it. Do you remember what the question is? What's it there for? Yeah. As you're reading God's word, when you see some keywords like therefore, you, you just have to have these questions. Therefore, what's it there for? What's it referring to? Why uh, does Peter start this section like that? It's because he's connecting it to the previous passage. A passage where he's talking about holy living. He's talking about being born again, having a new family with a common dad. And he says in that family... You should love deeply your brothers and sisters. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice 
and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. One of many lists in the New Testament of what we are supposed to not be part of. And this list, to me, communicates uh, the community destroyers. Peter's just talked about this new family and how we are to love deeply our brothers and sisters. All of this list goes against that. When you think of malice, spiteful or evil attitudes or actions towards others, deceit, falseness, lies, half-truths. If you were in my youth ministry, or when I, when I led the youth program many years ago, I always said a half-truth is a complete lie. When we are saying things that are half-true, we are lying because we are trying to hide something else. Hypocrisy, our actions don't match our words. We're living other than what we say we believe or what our, our doctrine is. And that is one of those that we all get hit with, right? You, you've heard it. I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, if the church wasn't full of hypocrites, it'd be empty. And so would wherever they are. Because we all struggle to live what we believe and have our actions follow what our words say. Envy, jealous, evil eyes, and spitefulness. Man, this is a tough one, isn't it? Especially in our uh, age of social media. Maybe I did that. Uh, we see a picture on, on one of our social platforms, and we wish that was us. We see something that we think we deserve instead of them. We think that we have been wronged because we don't have that as part of our lives, that we are less than. We envy what the other person has. And then slander. This is the outward one. All these other ones you can kind of keep inside, but the slander is the proactive outward one where we're defaming somebody, where we're speaking ill of another, we're gossiping, not prayer requests, gossip, uh, unrestrained criticism and cynical comments. I mean, is there someone in your life that every time someone brings them up, you feel the need to put out something that cuts them down, that undermines them, that, well, you know, yeah, that might be true, but I know this about them. And you just feel this need to undercut them. That's slander. I think these are all community destroyers that uh, if, when we let them seep in, when we let them fester, they isolate us from the community, from the family that we're supposed to be connected to. And that's exactly what our enemy wants. Our enemy seeks to separate and disrupt the unity of the family. Because when he isolates us, that's when we're at our weakest. And he often uses our pride, our hurt, and our selfishness to lead us deeper into sin in isolation. And these sins just perpetuate. When we get on a roll talking bad about this person, it doesn't take long before we're talking bad about this person and this person and this person. And usually it's because something's wrong within us. We're not happy of who we are, of how we're acting. Maybe we're ashamed of the hypocrisy we're living out, so we need to call it out in everybody else. And we attack those around us when we should be drawing near to our brothers and sisters in unity and saying, something's wrong. I need help. 
Because that's when we're at our strongest, when we're vulnerable, when we are proactive to share our weaknesses instead of pointing out everyone else's. Peter commands us to rid ourselves of such things, to keep the unity and to live holy lives. Because when we're being consumed by this evil, by this sin, we have no interest in his next command for spiritual growth, which is to crave pure spiritual milk. Peter says, get rid of this and feast on this. And he uses the metaphor of newborn babes, probably indicating that these believers are newer believers and and that they need to focus on that spiritual milk. They're not uh, in the category later on in Scripture that says, hey, you should be done with spiritual milk and be feasting on meat, but I have to keep giving you milk. These are newborn babies. And he says, you crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That taste is their salvation experience. They have put their faith in Christ, and that is good. And I think back to when I first came to Christ. I could not get enough of God's word. I could not get enough of praying and asking God for help and guidance and praying for other people, praying for the nations. I could not get enough of telling others about him, including my coaches, and my teachers, and the religion professors who didn't seem to like that uh, at Hendricks. But that's another story. I, I just, you're on fire. you got this passion, and, and you just keep going because you just want to feast on this new spiritual milk that you've experienced, you've tasted, and you realize it is good. And you keep coming back for more and more. And that's exactly what Peter is talking about. Because as they face persecution, as they face opposition, the tendency will be to turn and run. But as Ron said, we need to abide because that's where our nourishment is. It's in Christ. And I tried to come up with a quote of a, you know, what spiritual milk would look like and, and how it satisfies us. I couldn't come up with a quote, so I came up with a picture. This is one of our, our newest additions to fellowship. This is Seth Youngblood. He was born this month, and this is right after one of his feedings. And if you have kids, you know that look, right? Oh, mama, that was good. That's just what baby needed. I'll be seeing you in about 20 or 30 minutes as soon as you want to take a nap, a shower, or lay down for for a minute, I'll be back. Because that spiritual milk is good. This is the image for us. We need to be craving pure spiritual milk, knowing that that's what will lead us to growth. That's what will lead us uh, to spiritual maturity. Because we've tasted. We've put our faith in Christ. We know he is good. We have experienced his grace, and that is not an ending, it's a beginning. We don't graduate from spiritual growth. We don't age out. I mean, the end of our spiritual growth is when he returns or calls us home. And so if you're there going, yeah, I'm, a spiritual, I'm, I'm spiritually mature because I'm 75, 80, 90, tough. 
you're not done. You have breath in your lungs. You are called to spiritual growth. Peter explains that there is an expectation of growth, an ongoing craving for engaging the Lord after the initial taste of salvation. This isn't a checklist. This isn't make sure you read your Bible for 10 minutes, pray for 10 minutes, and then talk to someone else once a week about Jesus. This is we go to God's word to engage the creator of the universe. We sit in the presence of God to praise him, to seek his wisdom, and to confess our, our need for him in prayer. And we get into community to be sharpened and to sharpen one another. Peter says this is an ongoing expectation. To summarize these first three, spiritual growth is an ongoing expectation of believers and a loving community, community is an essential aspect to that growth, especially as persecution and trials intensify. It got me to thinking, you know what, as, as you keep reading this, what we're going to find out is people are rejecting the believers. They're already experiencing opposition. And my thought is, Peter's saying, hey, we don't need it from each other. We're getting it from the outside world. We're getting it from the non-believers. Family needs to stand together. So rid yourselves of these things that are going to separate us. And in community, continue growing. So here's some reflection questions right here at the beginning. The first one, what are the struggles affecting your relationships currently? When you saw that list, are there things that came to mind? Or was it like, check, 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 check? Or, man, this one really stood out. What, what is affecting your relationships in that list that Peter gives us? And the second one may be even more difficult. What is your current primary ambition? Spiritual maturity or something else? But I would ask a secondary question. Does spiritual maturity make the top five? And does your previous week and month reflect that? Something to chew on. Something I've been chewing on. Peter continues. And, and now he moves to the us, us collectively. So when you see you, think y'all, because I think he's Southern. Uh, as you all come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you all also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter now says, you know, once you're doing these first two things, you, you are ridding yourselves and you're working on holy living. You are continuing to grow spiritually. Now I need you to know that collectively, you're being built into a spiritual house. And Peter uses a lot of language from the Old Testament that was given to Israel and applies it to the church. He says, as we, as you all, come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, you're like him. You are going to be rejected by men, you're, but you were chosen by God, and you're precious to him, and you're being built into a spiritual house. And it takes every single one of us. 
that have put our faith in Christ. And every single one of us have a purpose in place in that spiritual house. And God knows each and every one of you. And we're to be a holy priesthood. You know, we're in the prophets right now in our series. Prophets bring the word of God to the people. And we'll see that next week when Jonah brings the word of God to Nineveh, the Assyrians. And the Assyrians actually respond the way Israel and Judah should have with all the other prophets. But Ken will take care of that next week. Uh, priests bring the people to God. But we don't need priests anymore. We are the priests. We are able to worship and bring our requests and our praises and our offerings, our spiritual sacrifices instead of animal sacrifices, straight to God because of a living stone. Now, Peter has a, has a lot of experience with this imagery of rocks, right? When you look at uh, Peter's history, in John chapter 1, his brother Andrew goes and gets him and brings him to Jesus, which Andrew is the guy that is always bringing people to Jesus. I love that. In, in the book by John MacArthur, 12 Ordinary Men, he talks about the 12 disciples. Andrew, the few times he's mentioned, always bringing people to Jesus. Hey, Andrew, here's some guy. Let's take him to Jesus. I love that. Okay, sorry, that was a little off. Uh, his brother brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, which means rock. Rock. And Peter in that moment probably was able to process quickly, okay, God has renamed people for significant purposes. There was that guy Abram who became Abraham, Sarai who became Sarah, Jacob, who became Israel. And I am Simon, but now I'm the rock. And that's where I would make my wrestling joke if you smell when I'm cooking. Okay. <clears throat> but I won't do that because I don't want to offend anybody. Later on, Jesus gives even more practical application of being renamed. Because Jesus goes to his disciples. And he says, who do the people say that I am? And in Matthew 16, I love, I love their response. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others still say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I love how none of these disciples put their name on it. Well, some people say this. I mean, not me, Jesus, but some people. And other people say this. Not me, but, but other people like, nobody wants to step out and go, I think it's this. So Jesus makes it clear. Well, you, who do you say that I am? And in very Peter uh, way, he steps up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter knows that Jesus is about building his church, 
He's been told that he's the bedrock of that church and that everyone that comes to faith is going to be part. They're going to be living stones in that church. And now he's telling these young believers, you're part of that. You put your faith in Christ. He's the living stone. You're not a dead stone. You're a living stone. You're part of this. He's building us together so that we can offer our spiritual sacrifices to him. Chuck Swindoll helps us with a a quote. He says, we're in the middle of an ongoing construction project. Christ is in the process of building up his church. Those dead stones that are being quarried from the pit of sin brought to life as living stones and uh, fitted into his glorious structure. That's the work of Jesus. We don't have to cause spiritual growth. We don't have to build the church. We come to him and he builds it. And Peter doesn't want them to miss that. He goes on to reference three Old Testament scriptures expanding on uh, the stone. And I don't have time to go through all of those, but I'll read them. You guys can look at your footnotes, look them up later on this week. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Doesn't that sound familiar? And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Here, Peter is again making a contrast. To some, they believe in the stone and they're good. Those that don't, they reject them, not so good. And and he's saying, but you... As he continues, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter goes on again referencing Old Testament passages assigned to Israel to to put onto the church and say, You, you are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are set apart for God's purpose as his possession. That's me. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, And your purpose is declare his praises because you are in the light and there's still a lot of darkness. And they probably needed to hear this. Because as they are opposed, they need to remember that they are chosen. As they are rejected, they needed to remember that they are royalty. That they are part of the the family of the king of all kings. That they are set apart, God's own possession. He's not going to leave them or abandon them. They are his. And that they have purpose, even in the midst of suffering. And that is to declare his praises. Now think about that. Declare his praises in the midst of suffering, in the midst of opposition. Christ is that good and that worthy. And as his purpose said in chapter 5, I want you to know all that's happening to you is a grace from God. So stand firm. All that's happening, take all of that and go, God is purifying us. 
God is using these trials to get rid of all the sin that surrounds us and, and clings to us because he wants us and he has chosen us and we are his royal possession. So live like that. To summarize these verses, you like Christ will be rejected by men. And I don't know if you see it, uh, but the groundwork's being laid. Things are in motion that seem like we are rapidly approaching that day even here in America. But through Christ, you are chosen, royal, a set-apart nation, and God's own possession for the purpose to declare his praises. So we come. We come to him who is building us into his spiritual house, the church. Finally, uh, the section we're going to conclude with, but it continues on and actually gives you pictures of living this out uh, in the, the verses that follow. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter again says, abstain from what is not holy, the sinful desires, the things that will wage war against your soul will push you away from God, not to God, that will separate you from the people of God, not have you unified with them. Abstain from those things and live exemplary lives in this dark world because they are watching because they will see your deeds, good or bad. They're watching. And they have a mouthful of accusations ready to launch as they watch you. But the way you live can change their accusations to praises. Change their intentions of watching you to see you fall to watching you to see him succeed in his plans for them. There was a time I went down to Florida, and I worked at Adele Champs uh, for a summer with student mobilization. And I was put in, all by myself, uh, the, the produce department. I was the melon man. What I did in Florida was I cut watermelon all day, every day, and cantaloupe, and every other kind of melon, put in a package so people could come in their swimsuits, take something, and go out to the beach. That was my entire job. There were four people that, longtime workers there uh, that I worked with. And when I walked in the first day, they wouldn't talk to me. They're like, you're one of them. You're just here to judge. You don't care. You're not going to be here long. We don't want to have anything to do with you, except the manager who had to talk to me to tell me, you know, how to cut a watermelon. By the end of those nine weeks, by the grace of God, Everyone except one had said, what is different about you? What makes you the way? You're not judgy. You don't complain. You work hard. You actually seem to care about what's going on here. You're, you're not like, hey, I'm just here for a little bit, so I don't have to learn anything. Like, and you care about us. What is different? You are odd, which I get a lot. And I'm like, there is... Nothing special about me. 
except him. He makes me different. And he changed my life. And he could change yours. That is how we're supposed to live. And I don't say that because I want you to look at me. Any of those pictures in my life are the grace of God because that is not my bent. We are all bent towards the other way, right? That was one of those holy moments that the Lord used to to bring about his purposes and I was humbled to be part of. But that's the picture. That's the picture of living a life, abstaining from sin and for his purposes that they're watching. You're the judged one. You're not going to put in the work. You're not going to care. The accusations were ready to be launched. But there was no reason to launch them because what they saw in myself and the other people that work there just now in my department, they're like, y'all are weird. There is something different about you. Well, we're strangers in this land because our kingdom is not here. We serve the king of all kings. Big picture. As a royal priesthood, we are called to mature in our faith and live a life in such a way that those watching to accuse instead see our deeds and praise God. Here's a couple next steps uh, to consider. The first, I, I would again ask you to be praying for our Nicaragua team. Uh, it's a, a big year to connect and to see what God, what other avenues God can open up down there to involve more of us, uh, the fellowship family, in his purposes down there. So let's be praying for them. Another step might be to take someone to coffee this week and talk through spiritual growth and how it's looked like in your life these past six months. Instead of being ashamed or afraid to confess, let's be proactive to get it out there because that will relieve the weight. It will give us someone to partner with, someone to keep us accountable, and someone to spur us on as we are supposed to. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the grace that you have given, the mercy we have experienced. May we walk in your ways and in your truth for your purposes and your glory, that those that see the way we live We'll praise your name. Amen.